friends, how many of y'all are into podcasts? Yeah, oh, okay, good, 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 a bunch of y'all. Have you ever listened to a, like, a series where, like, it had, like, a start and an end time for a podcast? Every once in a while, those series will drop in a bonus episode. Today's your bonus episode. <laughs> One week into the series, and I'm dropping a bonus episode on us. Why? Uh, great question. Because as we spend time walking through the book of Joshua, uh, it became clear to me that um, God wanted us to spend some time at the end of chapter one, where we planned on actually kind of skipping right past it. Uh, Truth is, we can't hit on every single uh, verse as we walk through Joshua, if we're going to do it in 10 weeks at least. And uh, so we kind of spent last week kind of setting the entire series up and talking about Joshua 1, 1 through 9, which is really uh, the commissioning that God gives to Joshua as he takes over for Moses and begins to lead Israel into the promised land. Remember that? God uh, comes to Joshua and says, hey, you're going to do this thing. I'm going to give Israel the land. You're just going to lead them in. And he's like, be strong and courageous. In fact, he says that three times to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And he also says, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be doing the work. I'm going to be with you. You just need to obey. And then he also says the last thing was, and pay attention to my word. Follow it. Don't go to the right or to the left. Follow my word. Keep it on your lips. Meditate on it. Live it out. And if you'll do that, he says, you will be successful. And that's like meat, man. That's like some good stuff right there. That's the stuff you're like, "Mm, dig into that, right? And then we get this little story afterwards that I thought we would just plan on just kind of like glazing over and heading into chapter two. We've actually got a Nimlock out there that's got like the whole series laid out with dates on it. I literally just ruined it after one week because now everything's getting pushed down. But here's why. This little story seems to be of little consequence. And yet as I kind of dug into the background on it, I felt like there was something that God wanted to say to our church. Uh, I've struggled with this message, not even going to lie. Was up late last night trying to put the finishing touches on it and just felt like, God, it just doesn't doesn't feel like it's coming together. And so I've just been telling God, like, all right, God, you asked us to talk about this. There's a reason, and uh, you're going to have to do something with it, which is what I try to pray all the time. And that's my prayer this morning. And so I'm going to ask right now God to do that. Would you pray with me, Father? Um, Take your word and through your spirit supernaturally speak to our hearts and minds. Encourage those that need to be encouraged. Remind us that you are here with us right now. And with what we need to hear from you, give us ears to hear. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who helped you find and follow Jesus? Well, I was thinking about this question uh, this past week, and there was all kinds of names that started popping uh, into my head, faces of people um, that I've known from my past. Some of them uh, were, were friends, uh, people that have kind of walked with me uh, through the course of different phases in my life. Uh, various mentors, Kurt, Jody, Jim, and Chris are a couple of guys. I think about my small group. 
We've been journeying together for the last few years, and they've been so faithful and helpful in me, not just talking about stuff, but actually like having the accountability to live it out. Um, I was thinking about my mom, honestly. That's one of the first faces that came into my head. She's been so faithful in loving Jesus since the time I was a little kid and, and, and showing me the heart of Jesus. And, and it has absolutely impacted who I am and what I care about. I was thinking of my wife, who for the last uh, 23 years of marriage and a couple of years of dating uh, has shown me uh, grace, has continued to show me what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like. Uh, I was thinking of my uh, mentor, uh, Philip, that's been with me for the last 20 years. Uh, he's 30 years ahead of me. Uh, and when we first met, um, he had been doing ministry longer than I had been alive. And quite honestly, he could have just kind of, uh, kind of rang it in, called it in the last number of years of, of, of his life. He was a tenured professor in the Bible department over at Cornerstone. He had decades of ministry experience. Uh, he could have just kind of like phoned it in, but he, he wouldn't do that. He continued to stretch himself, continued to sacrifice what he desired to pour himself into the lives of other young men and women. And he's done that for me for the last 20 years, probably rescued my faith on multiple occasions. Those are the faces that pop into my head. Who are the faces that pop into your head when you think about someone who helped you find and follow Jesus? I want you just to take a second and just think about some of those folks. Now I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and just share a couple of those names, just the first ones that popped in. Who are, who are a couple of those folks? Just go ahead and turn to, the, to your neighbor and share those with them. All right, I'm going to pull you back. Now I'd like you just to take a quick second, and I want you to imagine who are the individuals that when they hear this question, your face will pop into their mind? Who are the individuals that when they hear the same question, your face will pop into their mind? We're going to revisit that a little bit later, but uh, for now, if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, we're going to take a look at, um, quite honestly, what a, a lot of folks would probably view as a, a pretty mundane piece of Scripture here in the story of Joshua. Seems like a fairly simple uh, story, but I think that there's something God wants to say to us in it this morning. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 10. This is right after God has commissioned Joshua, has told him for the third time, be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you. And so Joshua now starts to go throughout the camp of Israel to prepare them to cross the Jordan and take possession of the land. Verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Now check it. Verse 12, he says, But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, 
Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. What land is he talking about? I assumed initially that he's talking about the land that they're about to get, which is on the other side of the Jordan. At this point, they have not crossed through the Jordan. They're still on the east side of the Jordan. They haven't come into Canaan on the west side of the Jordan. But that's actually not what's going on here, and it's why he singles out these three tribes. To understand what has happened, we actually have to go back to the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Numbers. Now, uh, I'm going to have you turn to Numbers 32 in just a minute, but let me share with you what even sets that up. Israel is marching kind of from the south up on the east side of the Jordan, the Dead Sea. They're going to come to Mount Nebo, where Moses is going to see the land and then die, and then Joshua is going to lead them in to the promised land. While they are marching up, though, they have to pass through uh, a number of different kingdoms. They talk to a couple of the kingdoms and say, we just want to pass through. Anything we take uh, to eat or drink, we will uh, pay you in silver. We won't go to the right or to the left. And so they actually send this message uh, to a king named Sihon. He had a brother, Og, uh, bad dudes. They were Amalekite uh, kings, kind of from the south and the north, and they say this, we just want to pass through, we will go straight, we won't go to the right or to the left, uh, we'll pay you for any uh, drink or food uh, that we take while we're coming through, we just want safe passage, and Sihon says, nah, uh-uh, now I'm going to crush these little punks, these little ants, I don't know what they're doing, they ain't coming through my land, and so Israel Okay, ragtag group of nomad herders, no home, camping for the last 40 years. Oh, man, that sounds like Hades to me. They're walking through, and he comes out, Sihon, with his army, okay, ready to throw down. And the Amalekites were known for their size. These were big dudes, okay? The Israelites were not known for their size. And so it looks like it's going to be a bloodbath. But God says to Moses, don't worry, I'm going to give them into your hands. And so God shows up in an amazing, powerful way. Israel wins the battle, even though they are the lesser of the two foes. Both kings are defeated. And the cities are, uh, they're all, all the enemies are pushed out. And Israel basically has these lands that they weren't initially planning to have. This is where we pick up the story in chapter 32 of Numbers. It says, The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer, I want to say Jazer, it's not Jazer, it's Jazer. Jazer? I don't remember. I'm going to make it up. I'm going to say Jazer, because then I can say that's where Jazer says came from. And Gilead were suitable for livestock, so they came to Moses and Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the community, and they said, and they start naming all of the cities that they have just conquered from Sihon and Og, okay? That they have just pushed the Amalekites out of. They come and they say, hey, all these cities... The land that the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock. 
and your servants have livestock. In other words, yo, we got a lot of livestock. This is some nice land. God's given it to us. Can we have this land? He says, they say, if we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Now, everything was totally copacetic up until that last line. Uh, Initially, the promised land was supposed to be west of the Jordan River in Canaan. But God has delivered this land to Israel because these kings that wanted to come out and slaughter Israel, and God gave this victory. And so these three tribes are like, yo, this is nice land. Can we have this as our inheritance? It's a great land for grazing and livestock. We've got lots of livestock. We won't take any land on the other side of the Jordan. Let us have this land. And that's not a bad request. The problem comes in at the very end, though, where they say, do not make us cross the Jordan. They're like, yeah, yeah, we got ours. We good. Like, we don't want to go in and have to do any more fighting. Let us chill. Let us, like, lay back. Keep on reading with me. Verse 6, Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. So Moses says to these three tribes, don't you remember what happened 40 years ago? Don't you remember how we've been wandering in the wilderness for the last 40 years? It was because we sent 12 spies into the land. This is right after Israel has been rescued from slavery in Egypt. God has done a mighty miracle in bringing them out. They go through the Red Sea. God brings the sea back together on Pharaoh's army. They wind up at Mount Sinai. They start a covenant with God where they're going to be God's special possession, this holy nation. They become the assembly of the Lord as they gather around him on Mount Sinai. And then God says, all right, now I want you to take the land. So they send 12 spies into the land, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They go into the land. They scout it out. They come back. Ten of the spies come back, and they say, it's too much. The people there are too big. They're too strong. Yeah, the land's dope. Got all kinds of big old grapes and wonderful stuff flowing with milk and honey is what they say, but we can't handle them. They're going to destroy us. Now, these are the same people that literally just saw what God did in Egypt, literally just saw what God did at the Red Sea, literally heard God speak and bring the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and 10 of the 12 are like, yeah, 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 but those dudes over there, they're too big, too much. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, they're like, are you kidding me? Have you not just seen what God has done? God's telling us to go. We got to go. But the 10 convince all of Israel to say, no way, we're not going to do it. They disobey God, and they wind up in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're finally about ready to come in, and here's these three tribes saying, we got ours. Can you just give us this? We don't want to have to go all the way across. And Moses lights them up. He's like, look with me, uh, verse 14. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers, making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all this people in the wilderness, and you will be the cause of their destruction. So 
the elders of the tribe come and they say, then they came up to him, Moses, and said, we would like to build pens here for our livestock in cities for our women and children. Verse 17, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. In other words, he's saying, we will not be like our fathers. We would like this land. It's good land. God has given it to us. But we will not be like our fathers. We will go in. Not only will we go in, we'll be the tip of the spear. We'll be the Marines. We'll be the first in to fight. You put us at the front. We're down. And he goes on to say, Meanwhile, our women and children will live in the fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. Drop down with me to verse 20. Then Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies uh, out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. My mom did use that line on me a couple of times as well. Be sure your sin will find you out. Flip back with me to Joshua. So Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, those three tribes, promised that they would do this. And now here we are, some, we're not sure exactly how long, could be months, possibly even a year or two later, and they are now getting ready to cross the Jordan and take the land that God had prepared for them, the land that God is going to win for Israel and give to Israel. And now Joshua has come to these three tribes and says, hey, are you, are you going to be good on your promise? Are you, going to, are you going to step forward and contend with your brothers so that they can have what you've already experienced, so that they can have what you've been given? Verse 13, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, go back, occupy your land. That's the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word doesn't obey it. Whatever you may command them, they will be put to death. Joshua, only be strong and courageous. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, all right, that's a nice little story and all, but what does that have to do with us? And, and why would we take a whole week just to talk about this little piece of history, this little moment? I mean, that seems like it would have been fairly easy for us to kind of like skip through and get to chapter two and like the beginnings of Jericho and Rahab and like all like that. Why this? Uh, here's why I believed God wanted us to talk about it. Um, because I think that there's actually a bunch of Reubenites in this room. Uh, I think there's a lot of Gadites 
in Grand Rapids. I think there's a lot of Manassas in these masses. <laughs> Friends, I like work so hard in that line. I like, you got to appreciate the craft, okay? Come on now. Now, here's the deal, right? The longer that you've known Jesus and followed Jesus, the easier it is to just kind of get complacent, isn't it? The longer that we follow Jesus, it's easy to kind of like find ourselves kind of getting into some routines. Like, yo, we got our friends, we got our family, we got our church, we got our community. Like, I got like the rhythms that I'm used to, and, and they're nice, and they feel good. And, and, and I, you know, like, I kind of live in my comfort zone now. I got my lane, and I know what it's like, and, and I'm good to kind of be there. And none of that's bad stuff. Like, that's all good stuff, all stuff God desires for us. But it can be bad when, when we fail to realize that there are people all around us, a generation coming up behind us, that have not experienced the rest, the home that we found in Christ. And if we decide we're just going to sit back and take it easy and, and, and chill, then there are folks in our community, in our schools, at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods that are never going to know what we have experienced. It's actually why God warned those three tribes not to stay in their cities, but rather to go out and fight. Look, is there a day coming when you're going to experience the promised land in its fullness? Absolutely. And some of us are already experiencing that. that, that that's the mystery of becoming a Christian is we actually begin to live heaven, the future, now on earth in the present. But we are not fully there yet. It is not fully inaugurated. There are still people that have not found rest, have not found home. And God wants us to be like Reuben and Gad and Manasseh and say, we will not give up the fight. We will not sit back and sit it out. There is something that the next generation needs. And that's for people who are ahead to not chill to not hang out on our couches in our homes with the people that we already have connections with and just relax. I'm not saying that there's not a place for rest and Sabbath. Obviously, we just finished an entire series talking about what that looks like. But the reason that we take a weekly Sabbath is actually to get ourselves ready for the battle that God has for us to engage in. I didn't say this in the, in the first service, partly because I always feel a little bit awkward about using like war metaphors, uh, which I'm not sure if I should because the Bible seems to use them quite a bit. But I was just thinking like if, if heaven and hell aren't real, then like everything that I do and everything that we're doing right now, like, it, like it's kind of useless. If they are real, then it probably needs to, change how I engage with my life. Uh, there was a promise that Reuben and Gad and Manasseh made. And as we said, promises have consequences, right? Did you know that there's a number of promises that you made when you became a Christian? A lot of times we don't always uh, think about them. We don't even often recognize all the promises that we make when we become a Christian, but we made some promises to lay down our lives for Christ to serve others, Matthew 16. 
that the older would pass on their faith to the younger, Titus 2, that we would share our faith with others who haven't heard, Romans 10, that the rich would be generous with their finances, 1 Timothy 6, that we would make disciples, helping others learn how to be like Jesus, Matthew 28. We would regularly attend and serve our local church, Hebrews 10, use our gifts to build up the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 14, care for widows and orphans, James 1, stand up for justice, Isaiah 1. Those are promises that whether you realized you were making them when you accepted Christ, we are, we have promises that we have to continue to engage with. Now, I wrestled, just going to be on, I, I, I finished the sermon on Thursday night and I was like, Lord, I don't like this sermon. It doesn't feel that good. It, like, I don't know why. I know why you're asking it, but I don't have like any like really great connection story. I'm like, God, it doesn't. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to like put it to bed for now. It's Thursday evening. I'm like, I'm going to take my Fridays, my Sabbath. Saturday, I'll kind of pick it back up in the evening and, I, and I'll like, you know, pull it back. I'm sure like God will give me some. I came back Saturday and I had nothing. I was working on this last night till 1 a.m. 1 a.m. wrestling with it. God, it just doesn't feel like, I don't know what you want me to do here. Like, I got to say something tomorrow. Finally went to bed at 1 a.m. And I had been working on all kinds of different things. I was like, well, what if I, what if I use the metaphor of like a doctor and like y'all are here to get a checkup? I'm like, who's ready? And I was like, oh, that's not a, that's a weird, I don't know, I probably shouldn't do that one. And then I was like, well, what if I was like, yeah, well, I'm like, I'm like your personal trainer. Like, give me another rep. You can do it. Come on. And the more that I was thinking about it, I was just like, man, Lord, I don't want people to think like, well, I, it's like this guilt trip. Like, I'm, I got I to gotta do these things because it's a guilt trip. Like, I don't, like, Lord, that's a, and I woke up this morning, and I kid you not, I literally put my feet on the ground, and I felt like God say, no, I don't want you to do those metaphors. The metaphor I want you to use is the metaphor of, of a, of a father. Well, what would a dad say to their kids? Like, if I was teaching this to my own kids of, like, why it matters that they don't, like, take it easy, sit back, play it safe in their house, but rather get out and get into the battle, what would I say to my kids? And it really began to change, like, how I began to approach, like, man, what do I want for my kids? I want my kids to, to know Jesus and, and, and love Jesus. Why? Because it's best for them. They're going to experience life in a way that is just so much better than if they try to figure everything out on their own or make all their own choices. I'm like, that's actually going to be better for them. And friends, that's what I want for you too. I don't want this to feel heavy-handed, like, oh man, I'm not serving enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not engaged enough. Like what I want is for you to experience all that God has for you. That's where you're actually going to find life. And it's better. It's better for you. It's better for us. And friends, there are people that their eternity literally hangs in the balance. There's no joke. And I want to care about that more. <laughs> and I need you to help me. I need you to help model it for me. Step out of our comfort zones. There's so many people that actually do this at our church. I, I was trying to think of some different folks. Um, my wife wasn't here the last service, so she didn't know I was saying this, and I said she won't be mad at me because she didn't hear it. Now she's here, she's going to be mad at me, but I don't care. She's one of the people that uh, shows this. Uh, and I was thinking, I was like, do you know what it's like to, to be a mom of four under the age of six? 
I don't. <laughs> I know what it's like to be a dad with four kids under the age of six. You know what my wife didn't want to do when we had four kids under the age of six? She didn't want to serve in the kids' ministry. <laughs> True story. She's like, yo, I need somebody like, take my kids. Do somebody do something with my kids. Now, she didn't not serve. She still served. She actually worked with high school and middle school students, pouring her life into them. Now, our kids are older. So she doesn't work with high school and middle school kids because our kids are in high school and middle school. She's like, please, take them. Do something with them. Now she serves in the kids' ministry. And there's a whole bunch of folks that do that. Because they say, you know what, I know what the next generation needs. I think of folks like Jeannie and Ashley. They both got kids in the kids' ministry, but they still serve on a pretty much weekly basis because of their love for that generation. It says, you know what, I want to pour myself out. I want them to know what Jesus is like. Uh, Brian Claver, he mentors some younger guys at a bar each week. Does he do it because he likes beer or really doesn't have much to do in the evenings? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly true, but that's not actually why he does it. He does it because he knows he has a responsibility to pass on his faith to younger guys as an older man. And it's not only changing their life, it's actually changing his life as well. I think about Carly Stender and her work on racial reconciliation here in GR. I think of Callie Britton and Emily Joldersma who are spearheading the Belong Project which is loving and caring for kids that, to no fault of their own, have been taken away from their families and placed into foster care. I, I think about Dan Gallagher. He's retired. Homeboy could probably be sipping Mai Tais on the beach if that's what he wanted to do, but he doesn't. He sips coffee constantly at coffee shops all around Grand Rapids because he's pouring his life into other men and discipling them, many of them who are a part of this church. I think of Bethany Diedrich, who's in college and serves almost weekly here at the church. Is there a thousand other things that a college student could be doing? Yeah, there is, but she says, I'm not going to sit back. I think of Jonathan Alvaro. Jonathan, who just finished up uh, his uh, grad degree, been in school for the last, I don't know, eight years. And every single week he comes in and he loves on our elementary school boys. In fact, is helping to now start a fifth and sixth grade ministry that we're starting to launch soon. That's what it looks like to say, you know what? I've got a role to play. Regardless of kind of what stage of life you're in, none of us can get complacent. We've all got to step out of our comfort zones. That's where real life is found. That's why I think God wanted us to talk about this. And so what I'd like to do in the last minute or two is I want to kind of talk about uh, really two pieces, okay? Asking the question, what's your mission on behalf of the family and what's your contribution to the family? What's your mission on behalf of the family? Let me talk about that first. This is the mission that God has specifically called you to. Uh, this is something that my ministry coach um, actually was talking to me about a couple of weeks ago. This concept of uh, we, we're not trying to recruit people, we're trying to release people. We, we want you to know what is the mission God has gifted you with, called you to, that you're supposed to do as a representative of the family of Jesus, as a representative of TLC. What is it that God's called you to do? Now, you're like, man, I, I don't know. If I ask most folks, most folks in this room probably right now would say, man, I don't, I'm not sure I could like succinctly tell you what the mission is that God's given me. 
So I want to give you a, a little tool, and uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. It's actually going to be some homework for you. So I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to pull out your phones, take a picture, so that then you can spend some time thinking about it. You might even want to just email yourself or text yourself the picture so that you see it in your text. Sweet little Venn diagram. Whoop, whoop. Oh, so cool. Here's the deal. There's three things that help us identify our calling, our mission. The first is your passion. What brings you a release of joy and energy? When you do it, you're just like, oh, that's awesome. I love that, man. I'm like, that, that like ramps me up, makes me excited. The second is actually your pain. If you could eradicate one thing in the world or what makes you righteously angry, what's that thing? It's like, man, it shouldn't be that way. Every time I see that, it like makes me angry or frustrated or I experience that and I want to make sure nobody else has to. What's your passion? What's your pain? And what's your proficiency? What are you good at? Now, a lot of times people are like, man, I'm, I don't know what I'm good at. All right, great. Ask your friends. They will tell you. If you've got good friends, ask them. They'll tell you, man, I, man, when I see you do this, you're so good at that. The way you make people feel, you've got such an amazing mind for strategy and structure and pulling things together, whatever it is. What's your passion? What's your pain? What's your proficiency? Where those three things come together is often where you will find the mission that God has called you to. Now, that's the main thing that I care for you to see this morning. That's the main thing that I want to release. I want every single person in our church to know, why has God placed me on this earth? But there is also a contribution to the family. Um, in my family, my mission is to love on my wife and my kids, to love Jesus with all of my heart, to be a great model and example of what following Jesus looks like. That's my mission to be a phenomenal pastor for them. But I also have some contributions. And it looks a lot like cutting the grass. All right? I don't like cutting the grass. Don't really enjoy it. Don't know anybody that's like, that's my mission in life. God gave me, like, that's my passion and pain and profession. Like, oh, yeah, that. No, but it's still got to be done. I've not met one person that's like dish washing. That, that's my mission in life. No, but my kids got to do it every four days. And every four days, you can guarantee somebody's not happy about it. But it's the contribution, right? As a church, we are a family. And so every single person has a mission that represents the family. But we also have some things that we need to contribute to. That's kind of a secondary thing to the mission that God has called you on, but it is not a less important thing. And so I hope you'll start asking the question, man, what is, what is the, where's the place I'm supposed to contribute? It might not be like all that thrills your soul, okay? If you like hate kids, all right, don't sign up to serve in the kids ministry. We get it, okay? But if you love Jesus and don't mind kids, that might be a great place for you, Okay? Could be hospitality, could be one of our serve teams working in the tech booth, could be on our prayer team, some of the other ministries connecting with Ken O'Shea here. But what is the place that you contribute? Look, um, I know a lot of this can feel a little bit like potentially heavy-handed, and that's, that's not at all. I don't want you to feel guilt in this. 
But in this place of saying, I'm not going to sit back in my cities that I already have, I'm going to step out into the battle along with my brothers and sisters to see more people experience what I've experienced. That, my friends, is where you're going to find life. I promise you. I promise you, promise you. You will find blessing in ways that you can't even imagine. A sense of purpose and a sense of belonging in ways that you've never, ever experienced before. And that, my friends, is just simply what I want for you. When God tells us these things, it's not because he wants something from you. It's because he wants something for you. And that's my heart too. And so I hope you'll hear it not as a, a doctor giving you a checkup, telling you you got to like, you know, stop eating Reese's or something. I hope you hear it as a father who's saying, look, I, I just love you, son. I love you, daughter. I want to see the absolute best for your life. And let's believe that that's what God has for us as well. Father, let us be a people who see you come and move in our lives again. Things in our life, Jesus, that uh, maybe we've been holding on to or pulling back from, Jesus, we ask you to break down those walls and allow us to step in, to not simply sit back in our cities, our homes. Let us step out to be a part of this battle that you are engaging with. God, you're going to do the work, but we have to step in. Let us do that for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you because you first loved us. Amen.